Welcome to High Cheese. It's Friday, July 28th, 2023. And as I've always said, the members of the deep state, the operatives of the deep state, they're not really bright. They may have a rudimentary knowledge of the law, but what really sets them apart, what really makes them excel in the deep state is their ability to take orders from those above. And that's all what they need to do. They're not bright people. They may have the degrees, but they're not bright people. But what they have is the ability to take orders and to be politically sensitive and know when to look the other way or try to look the other way. And this all reared its head with the Hunter Biden plea deal that collapsed this week. Now, Hunter Biden went in before a judge to have his plea deal confirmed by the judge. Now, the plea deal had to do with Hunter's tax evasion misdemeanor as well as his gun charge. But what we all knew all along, what most people knew all along, is that there was a pending or is a pending investigation on Hunter Biden regarding Farah. Now, essentially what Farah is, it's, it's all out there that says that if you're representing foreign countries as a lobbyist, you have to register as a foreign lobbyist. And Hunter Biden never did that. And if you remember Paul Manafort, Donald Trump's former campaign chairman, he went to jail for not registering as a foreign agent, among other things. So Hunter Biden was being investigated for FARA violations, not registering as a foreign lobbyist. And everybody knew this. But what this uh, plea deal did, in some supplemental documentation that was provided, was related to Hunter Biden's gun charge. And in that supplemental documentation that they gave to the judge was tucked in there that Hunter Biden was going to get immunity for everything related to his investigation, which included his Farrah violation, same Farrah violation that put Paul Manafort in jail. And here's what they were thinking. Here's what the Department of Justice attorneys were thinking before they presented this plea deal to the judge. They sat down with Hunter Biden's uh, attorneys and look, they're all on the same page. They weren't looking to represent you or me. There was no adversarial relationship here between the Department of Justice and Hunter Biden's attorneys. They were both on the same page. What can we do to help Hunter Biden on this? Now, we all know that he got a slap on the wrist with this plea deal. But they wanted to push it a little further. They want to say, we have to give Hunter Biden immunity on this Farrah deal. And we're going to try to sneak it in there as part of some supplemental documentation given to the judge which essentially would mean that Hunter Biden could not be prosecuted in the future under this Farrah deal. And essentially the language in it. And <laughs> This is so abnormal what they did. They tucked in an immunity clause in this documentation that was related to Hunter Biden's gun charge. And did they not think that the judge was going to see this? But here's what they did. They sat down with the uh, Hunter Biden's attorneys and said, look, We'll tuck this thing in there. We'll tuck this clause in there. And maybe the judge won't see it. She won't notice it. Maybe she'll just rubber stamp it. Well, she didn't. Now, that's one thing that they thought. The other thing that they thought is we're going to put it in there and we're going to hope that maybe somebody got to the judge. Maybe somebody got to the judge and said, hey, look. There's going to be a little clause in there tucked into the supplemental documentation regarding giving Hunter Biden immunity for everything. Just overlook it. Be one of us and we'll take care of you in the future. 
And one thing I just want to point out is that the mainstream media loves to point out that this judge was a Trump-appointed judge. What people don't realize is that it requires two Democratic senators from Delaware to recommend her, and then Trump approves it. And that's the funny thing that no one wants to tell you. Oh, it's a Trump-appointed judge. Now, quite frankly, I think she was a fair-minded judge when, when she took a look at this, and she says, what is this here? What is this clause here? You're giving Hunter Biden blanket immunity for a FARA charge for being a foreign lobbyist without registering? Why are you tucking this in here? And what I think the Department of Justice prosecutors in their meeting beforehand with Hunter Biden's attorney said, hey, look, we'll put it in there. We'll try. But if the judge points it out, we're going to have to say that, yeah, there's an ongoing investigation. Because here's how shady they are. Uh, they've already come out and said that uh, Biden was being investigated for the Farah violations. But they also had a memo out there between the attorneys and the Department of Justice saying, hey, he's going to get immunity for his Farah violations. So this way, if the judge overlooked it and it became an issue down the road, you're going to have a t uh, Hunter Biden's attorney say, see, look, we've got, an, we've got an agreement here. Here's a memo that said that Hunter Biden's immune to the Farah charges. But I think when push came to shove, the Department of Justice attorney said, look, it becomes an issue with the judge. I can't blatantly lie in front of the judge because we've already said he's under investigation. They were just hoping that the judge would just overlook it because she's as bright as they are. Or somebody got to her and she would just rubber stamp it. Well, she didn't. So the judge asks, well, what is this immunity clause doing in the gun charge uh, supplemental documentation? And then she asks, well, does this affect other pending litigation with Hunter Biden regarding the Farrah charge? And the Department of Justice representatives said, and they finally had to fess up. So they got caught. They were so dumb that they thought a judge was going to not recognize this clause where somebody got to her and she would just overlook it intentionally. Well, that didn't happen. And this is how they work. And if there's any example of corruption, you've got it here. You've got the plea deal itself, which is a slap on the wrists for Hunter Biden. And you've got them trying to shoehorn this blanket immunity clause regarding Farah into the plea deal. And it's just another example of how corrupt the Department of Justice is, how inept the Department of Justice is. And like I always say, it's just a typical example. These are not bright people. They know the political game, but they don't know how to implement the law according to the law. Now, one thing I've always said is that you can read into where the deep state stands with Joe Biden regarding his reelection when you take a look at how they're dealing with Hunter Biden. So as a result here, we know that the deep state is still with Joe Biden right now because they were doing everything that they could to try to protect Hunter Biden with this slap on the wrist plea deal and then tr uh, trying to hoodwink the judge into signing off on blanket immunity regarding anything associated with his investigation, the Farah investigation. So to make a long story short, they, the deep state is still with Joe Biden. They're looking to protect Joe Biden and his son. And we'll find out more about this when 
they go back to the judge. Okay, let's go to uh, some of the conditions of release that Hunter Biden must abide by as set up by the judge. And the first one is he uh, should not possess a firearm. Uh, Two, he should not use or possess any controlled substance, including marijuana, unless prescribed. Three, submit to a full federal supervision. Four, no use of alcohol at all. Five, seek active employment. Six, submit to testing for prohibited substances. Here's the one, this one right here, number six. This is what I'm interested in finding out, whether they're actually going to test him and what's the frequency of testing. And I got a suspicion they'll probably test him once every six months. You know, it may not be six months, but I know that it's going to be infrequent testing. Seven, participate in substance abuse therapy. And if he doesn't follow any of these stipulations, he is subject to an immediate issuance of an arrest warrant. Two, the revocation of his release. Three, the forfeiture of his bond. And four, prosecution for contempt of court. So this is going to be a drama in itself, whether Hunter complies. So we'll keep an eye on this thing. And with that said, I want to go to one thing that jumped out in Hunter Biden's torn up plea deal. And that has to do with him admitting that he took money from China. And with that said, I want to go to a clip and I want to take us back to the presidential debates in 2020. And the bold faced lie that Joe Biden presented to the American people regarding Hunter. And this is one of many lies. So let's go to this clip and then we'll come back and discuss. My son has not made money in terms of this thing about uh, what are you talking about? China. I have not had it. The only guy made money from China is this guy. And again, Hunter's plea deal shows us that this was one big lie. And in typical Democratic fashion, Biden turns around and accuses Trump of doing what he's been doing and what Hunter's been doing. And I want to play a couple of other clips from Joe. And it has to do how this whole narrative is now changing for the Democrats and now trying to present a different narrative. Now, we know that the laptop was real in spite of what the deep state said, the CIA, the former CIA operatives came out and said, no, it was Russian disinformation. We know that that was not true. We know that that was a lie. The Republicans took over the House. We now know that there's a lot of money flowing into these Biden bank accounts. We know that the year after Joe Biden left the vice presidency, he declared $10 million, about $10 million from some LLC. And where did that money come from? We've got the 1023 form where the CEO of Burisma said that Joe Biden was involved with a kickback scheme while he was vice president. And more and more is coming out. And I'm going to play a couple clips here in how this Democratic narrative has changed from Biden not knowing anything to now you've got Karine Jean-Pierre now saying, oh, no, well. Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, they were never in business. That's a big jump from not knowing your son's business dealings to now, oh, they weren't in business together. Now, that's a big jump. 
So the Democrats are slowly trying to change this narrative as we learn more and more about the Biden corruption. So let's go to the cl- uh, let's go to a couple of clips and then we'll come back and discuss. I have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their business. This is from the campaign trail 2019, where Biden is confronted exactly over business dealings with Hunter. All of this was actually known, much of it within the public record. Here's what Biden had to say. I've never spoken to my son about drugs. Everybody looked at this and everybody's looked at it, said there's nothing there. Ask the right question. Chairman James Comer today says that the Oversight Committee, excuse me, has evidence that the president in the past communicated directly with foreign business associates of his son Hunter Biden many times. Curious if the White House and the president still stand behind his comment that he's never been involved and has never even uh, spoken to his son about his So I've been been asked this question a million times. The answer is not going to change. The answer remains the same. The president was never in business with his son. I just don't have anything else to add. Oh, Karine Jean-Pierre, how you've changed. Now, your official statements for the past year up until this was that Joe knew nothing about it. And now her statement is, well, they, they didn't have a business arrangement. And what's next? As, as we go along, this is going to morph into something more and more and more for the Democrats as they try to mitigate this. What should we expect from Karine Jean-Pierre? Well, it depends how bad it gets. At some point, you may hear her say, well, Joe got money, but Hunter Biden didn't directly hand it to him. And expect something like that. Expect something as ludicrous as that. Now, on Monday, we've got Hunter Biden's former business partner, Devin Archer. He intends to testify before Congress or before the House. And apparently he is going to testify that Joe got on the phone with Hunter's business partners 24 times. But Joe knew nothing about this. And I know the game he's playing, but he's too dumb. To pull this off. Now remember what I said is that the deep state. Now really full of really bright people. And Joe Biden's a perfect example. He's not really bright. He was always known as one of the dumbest senators. In the senate during his career. And that's the perfect guy you want. Not too bright. Greedy. Just take care of me. Take care of my family. And I'll look the other way. That's all he wants. But. They got the power and the money of the government behind them. That's what makes them dangerous. So, we shall see. So, Donald Trump was hit with three additional charges regarding his Mar-a-Lago case. And this was nothing more than just a diversion tactic by the deep state to take the attention off the Hunter Biden plea fiasco. And I'm not going to go into the three additional charges But what I do want to talk about is that the government indicted a Mar-a-Lago maintenance man, Carlos de Oliveira, a maintenance man at Mar-a-Lago, regular person, hardworking guy, but they indicted him. So apparently what they're claiming is that 
D'Olivieri allegedly told a Mar-a-Lago employee that the boss wanted to delete a server containing surveillance footage showing how Trump's boxes have been moved around the club, according to the indictment. The new charging documents also identify D'Olivieri as the person who helped Nauta move 30 boxes from Trump's residence to a storage room. He also allegedly told the FBI he was not involved with moving documents that officials sought, telling agents never saw anything. But they indicted this maintenance man. So now they are not only going after Trump, but they're going after regular people. Hardworking maintenance guy. And this is what they're doing today. They're going after regular people. Look what's happening in Michigan, where the Michigan state attorney general indicted a slate of alternate electors during the whole election debate. Now, what happened is that there was a court case that was challenging the election results in Michigan. And it's perfectly normal that in these cases, that an alternate state, a slate of candidates present themselves just in case that they win in court. Nothing wrong with that. That's not illegal. But in Michigan, it is because it's run by Democrats. Now, I think the average age of these people that were indicted is 75 years old. They're now going after 75-year-old people that were voicing their opinion in Michigan. To me, it's an act of desperation. It's a coordinated effort to try to make Trump the leader in this coup. Trump tried to create a coup with his questioning the election. Nothing wrong with questioning the election. Nothing wrong with a sitting president to question anything about the election. He has his rights. These 75-year-old electors had their rights too. But not under democratic regimes. You have no voice. You have to follow lockstep with what they want. So I perceive it as an act of desperation. And I also see it as a way of diverting attention away from Hunter Biden's plea fiasco. So we shall see. Now, I want to talk a bit about this UFO hearing this week that took place. There was a whistleblower that testified before Congress about UFOs. And just two things that I just wanted to point out. One is that, to me, it doesn't matter whether there are UFOs or not. Because I don't think as a Christian that in, does nothing with our covenant with God. So there's some people that say, oh, if that's UFOs, it undermines Christianity. I don't think so. We have our own covenant with God. We deal with these things from a Christian perspective. But that's here nor there. The, the thing that really ticks me off about this is that the U.S. government knew about these UFOs. And they don't know what they are. But they should have told us from day one. For years and years and years, they haven't told us. Because to them, they determine that you can't handle the truth. And this is typical of how the deep state works, how government works. We're only going to let you know what we think you should know. And for years and years and years, American people wanted to know. And many people have seen these things up in the air. They don't know what they are. But the government finally fessed up. They don't know what they are either. But the problem I have is that the government has kept it hidden from us. And you don't think that undermines 
the American confidence in the government today. We're big boys. We can handle the truth. We don't need the government to be our protector for something like this. We can figure it out. So with that said, I just want to go to a clip from uh, the hearing. And uh, then we'll come back and discuss. If you believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Yeah. Um, were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. And was this documentary evidence, this video, photos, eyewitness, like how would that be determined? The specific documentation I would have to talk to you in a skiff about. And that was Nancy Mace speaking to the uh, whistleblower. But again, the whistleblower is vague on this. He says that there we discovered body parts that weren't human, but I can't tell you about it. And this is the whole problem. We want to know. If he makes the statement that there's non-human remains of a UFO crash, but I can't tell you about it, well, we're back to the same old problem. So I hope Nancy Mace pushes a little more for this because I want to know, you want to know. Like I said, it doesn't affect me as a Christian in my beliefs. And like I said, we can handle it. We're big boys. So we shall see. Okay, just a couple of items I wanted to talk about before I go. And the first thing I wanted to talk about is this whole apoplectic response by the media regarding this heat wave we're going through in some parts of the country. Now, I'm in New Jersey. It's been very hot for the past uh, week and a half, two weeks. And there are other parts of the country where they're having very high temperatures. But there's nothing abnormal about this. And the media and the Democrats are just pushing this because they plan on making this an issue in 2024. And with that said, I just wanted to highlight a couple of items. And according to data from the U.S. Climate Change Science Program, which is made available by the EPA, the annual heat wave index for the contiguous 48 states was substantially higher in the 1930s than at any point in recent years. In some years in the 1930s, it was four or five times greater or more. Additionally, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, has a large database of daily temperatures that go back to 1948. NOAA used 1,066 weather stations located across the U.S. to collect this data. According to the NOAA, huge swaths of the U.S. have experienced a significant decrease in abnormally hot days recorded since 1948, especially in the Midwest and northern and eastern Texas. Although it's true that some parts of the U.S. have seen the number of hotter-than-usual days increase over the past 70 years, including California and the New York metropolitan area, 
Most weather stations have shown no meaningful changes or even declines. Again, this is a whole narrative that they're trying to fool people with. You know, particularly younger people. Oh, it's never been this hot before. I remember it hot when I was younger. I remember it hotter when I was younger. I remember days of over 100 degrees in New Jersey. But no, 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 not according to the New York Times, not according to CNN. Oh, this country's melting. This world is melting. We got to do something. And it's all about a setting up an agenda for next year's election. Now, the other thing I've heard, and I can't confirm this, is that all of these people that call in to these local weather stations about the heat and they're taking ground temperature instead of air temperature. Uh, people usually test air temperature, which is cooler than ground temperature. So they're reporting ground temperature. Now, I can't confirm if this is true, but they're reporting ground temperature, which is hotter than air temperature. So I'll have to look into that, and I'll, I'll let you know what I find. But this whole melting of the world over two weeks is just absolutely insane and again as i said before these are not bright people okay the last thing i wanted to talk about um and let me go to an article from the new york post so we've got a couple of professors that are requesting that the biden administration ignore the supreme court when they don't agree with the, a supreme court decision okay let's, so let's go to the article here and it says here, two prominent professors are urging President Biden to thwart U.S. Supreme Court MAGA justices by instituting an alternate interpretation to some rulings, a proposal that critics claim would be a dictatorship. Harvard Law School professor Mark Tunchett and San Francisco State University political scientist Aaron Belkin last week penned an open letter to the Biden administration on popular constitutionalism to demand that Biden take action against what he has already deemed not a normal court because of some of its controversial recent rulings. We urge President Biden to restrain MAGA justices immediately by announcing that if and when they issue rulings that are based on gravely mistaken interpretations of the Constitution that undermine our most fundamental commitments, the administration will be guided by its own constitutional interpretations, the pair wrote. So this is chaos. This is how the Bolsheviks work. We're just going to ignore the courts. We're just going to do what we want. The Constitution is only good as long as we can benefit from it, or as long as we can meet our political objectives. And did, did I say this is how the Bolshevik works? No laws. The law is us. The law is what we say it is, not the Constitution. The law, we take over. We've taken over now. And I think I've mentioned this before. If you want to ever want to take a look at what Bolshevism is all about, watch the first hour of Dr. Zhivago, the movie. It's a very long movie. It's a good movie, but extremely long. But watch the first hour, and you'll see how Bolsheviks work. So with that said, thank you so much for listening. You have a good week, and I will talk to you next Saturday.